Welcome to the teaching ministry of Steve Franklin. Steve's calling is to coach champions in the kingdom of God. Our prayer for you as you listen to this word of encouragement and instruction is that you'll be built up in your faith and encouraged to take the next step in your development as one of God's true champions. Here's Steve. James 1 James identifies himself as a bondservant of God. You know what a bondservant is? Somebody who'd been set free but chose to come back and, and serve, even though they had the legal right to walk in their own freedom. They came, they chose to come back. You know, why is that significant? Scholarship and history lets us know that this James was the half-brother of Jesus. Half-brother because they had the same mother, Mary, but not the same father. James's father was Joseph. Jesus' father was the Holy Spirit. Right? And so, James, we understand from the Gospels, was not always a believer. In fact, James joined his brothers at one venture in Jesus' ministry and asked Jesus politely to get away from the family. You can read between the lines. They said, if you are who you say you are, why don't you go on up to Jerusalem? And if you read the context, you'll find out that in those days and times, the religious leaders of Jerusalem were seeking Jesus that they may kill him. So his brothers we're wanting them to get away from them. But you also realize if you read 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection, you'll find out that after the resurrection, the Lord made an appearance to James. Reckon that changed a few things? And James became the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. How would you like to have Peter and John, some of those guys sitting under you, and you're the pastor? Could that be a little intimidating? <laughs> I should say, over and over again in the scriptures, if you're looking for it, you'll find that so-and-so was there, and so-and-so was there, and James was there. He had such an elite place of respect in the early church that uh, it's remarkable the transformation that took place in his life only explained by coming into the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So notice he calls him, he didn't say, hey, Jesus was my bud, man, he was my bro. No, he says, I am a bondservant. He owed my life to him. That right there is one of the most remarkable affirmations of the truth of the power of Jesus and the resurrection that you'll find. He addresses himself to those 12 tribes dispersed abroad. Remember that initially the vast majority of believers were Jewish by descent. 
and they got scattered all over the Roman Empire uh, due to intense persecution brought about not only by the Jewish religious leaders, but by the governors of Rome. And he says in verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Let's think about that for just a minute. Various means multicolored. means trials of any and every sort. Have you ever stopped to think about what his initial audience had been and were going through when he says, count it joy, not if, but when you encounter various trials? How would you like to have a business or a long-term career and to walk in today and recognize that it is over? You were not going to be able to do this anymore by the force of religious and governmental pressure. You were done. And not only that, but for the safety of you and your family, you learned today that your business is done and you're going to have to move away from everything familiar to you. You've got to leave your home. You've got to leave your business. You have got to get your family into a safe place, in a place where you, have, you don't know anything about. You're starting over at this age and stage of your life just to survive. A lot of these believers lost everything. They lost their income. They lost their close Family relationships, a lot of them were stressed anyway because they had come to believe in Jesus, which was not a popular thing to do. Everything. Their families were torn apart. All their stability was gone. Many of them were broke. And if you read the entire book of James, you will find that a lot of these believers were poverty stricken and many of them, I believe, because they just had to leave everything, everything. And so here comes the word of God. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Multicolored. Now understand that the word joy here is not a giddy emotional uh, feeling. Joy, as it's described in the Word of God, is a calm, deep sense of well-being. A joy that comes from your spirit man, not from your soul. Your soul's made up of your mind, your emotions, and your intellect, your will, your volition. And the kind of joy he's talking about is not that way because it, joy that's in your soul is temporary and dependent on circumstances. The joy he's talking about comes from your reborn spirit, where the Holy Spirit lives. 
And remember that there's joy that has been deposited deep within your spirit, man. And the problem with most of us is we don't access it. We allow our circumstances to control and dictate whether or not we're going to be joyful or not. If joy is a deep-rooted sense of well-being, then if we get disrupted or disconnected from that, it's because we're allowing our circumstances to determine whether or not we'll be joyful or not. And once you lose connection with your joy, you lose your strength. You're going to start getting real weary in your inner man. Your outer man will respond as well. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Recorded by Nehemiah in the Word of God. The joy of the Lord. You lose that. You lose vitality. You, you, you lose the will to continue not only internally but externally. You lose your joy. You've lost something valuable. But the truth is, you didn't really lose it. You lost connection with it. I said, you didn't really lose it. You lost connection with it. Galatians 5.22 says, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit living in you right now, there is deposited in you right now by the Holy Spirit's presence, these fruits. Love, what's the second one? There it is. So it's in there. It's in your spirit, man. The problem with most of us is we allow our circumstances to unplug us from that which is already eternally invested in us. And what a shame is that, right? Everybody say this with me. I decide today that I'll stay connected to what I really have in my spirit man that is eternal. I will not allow that man or that woman or that circumstance or that bank account or that customer or that client or anybody else to rob me of my joy. Well, now let's remind ourselves of that as we walk through this. That joy is deposited in our spirit man. And, and, and James says, count it all joy. That is, put it on the side of the love. You have to do this as an act of your will. If you wait on feeling joy, you're not going to get there. James says, as an act of your will, count it all joy. That's an accounting term. Put it on the side of the ledger of saying, I will decide today that I will count this as joy. But notice there's no period at the end of that verse. It's unfortunate that there is a, a verse break there because there's a comma there. He says, how, how do you do that? The only way you can do it is if you know something. I mean, you, know, you just can't automatically do it. You got to know something. And this word for know here is gnosko. It is the deep, intimate knowing. It's not an intellectual fact. It's laying hold of something that you know that you know that you know. 
knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. The word produced there is the Greek word kater gazetai, and it's unfortunately translated produce. It would be better translated works out, develops. The testing of your faith works out or develops patience. It doesn't produce it. Some people have trials and tests and go the other way and get all hot and bothered and discouraged and depressed and everything else. So in and of itself, trials are not going to produce patience. They develop it if you cooperate by counting it joy. It's a, it's a conditional deal here. The only way we're going to count it joy is to know something, and the only way we're going to know something is to be convinced that God's word is true here. The testing. A test is the application of pressure on a given condition. The application of pressure on a given condition. You put something to the test, you apply pressure to it to see what state it's in. You took a test in school, there was the application of pressure to see what condition your mind was in as far as the accumulation of facts. You're, go you're going to have this day the application of pressure on what you believe to be true. There's going to be the application of pressure when you see a woman out there that's very appealing to you and you're going to have to decide if you believe that, if it, that it's worth it to walk in integrity to commit that temptation to the Lord and to stand on his word or whether you're going to allow your mind to go on down the way of adultery. There's the application of pressure. You say, well, I don't have any of that. Well, you're dead. I do funerals cheap. <laughs> You're going to think of something or get a phone call or see a letter or something that is going to apply pressure to you and you're like, where am I going to get the money? Why does it, right? The application of pressure, you're going to feel maybe a symptom in your body and your brain's going to say, oh man, you're on your way out of here. I, you know, Joe Phelps, he, he had that. and Right? Something is going to challenge and put pressure on what you believe today. If I'm walking in anxiety... Something is putting pressure on me to, to worry and to not believe the word of God that the final results are in his hands and that he, look, what it develops is endurance, patience. The word there for patience, I've got it on your outline there, is hupomone, hupomone. And you know what it means? It means to bear up under pressure. To bear up under pressure. 
And we get our words, patience and endurance from that. But it's a lot bigger than just patience. It has to do with waiting and continuing to wait for the manifestation of what God's promised to even under intense, intense pressure and even suffering. Do you know, we've always looked at biblical suffering as rejection of, our, of the gospel or rejection of us for believing the gospel. Do you know, sometimes I think the greatest suffering we do is when we know our God is the answer for every one of our issues, but we don't see him moving quickly to resolve it. Now, that can put you in some pain, some struggle. But for whatever reason, God has decided not to do without the development of patience. I said to this, I said this to my church family on Sunday in the message. And I don't mean what I'm about to say to be self-righteous because I want you to know something. In fact, I want you to say it with me. Everybody ready? Everybody say it with me. I am perfectly capable, perfectly capable. of making a mess Today, in fact, I am one bad decision away from hurting a lot of people. Now, you heard that from your pastor. I am one bad choice away from hurting a lot of people. And so are you. I tell the ministers under me all the time, don't ever forget that. There is a healthy fear of God, folks. And if we lose that, we're about to fall. Amen? So don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. But uh, I've been true to my wife these 44 years. Uh, I don't do pornography. I've never been in addiction. And I don't give myself credit for that. But for the grace of God, I'm one bad decision away from making a mess. But like I told the church uh, Sunday, boy, do I struggle big time with impatience. It puts a noose around my neck. It kicks my butt, man. I'm telling you, just to put it in an old coach talk. And I'm, uh, I'm not proud about that. And I am not like, well, we've all got that. No, wait a minute. My impatience is a violation of the character of my Lord. And I'm not, a, I'm not proud of that. Well, how'd I come up with that? Well, I wish I didn't come up with it. It's what the Holy Spirit's told me about my problem. Remember what the Word says, 1 John 4? God is what? God is what? Agape. God is love. Yes or no? 
That is the epitome of his character, right? Unconditional, unrelenting love. Yes or no? First yes. Corinthians 13 describes what agape looks like. And if you look at verse 4, the first thing it says about love is... Okay, so if God is love and the first characteristic of real love is patient, and I'm constantly operating in impatience, wouldn't it be true about me that my problem is an affront to the character of God? It's a violation. I'm not proud of that. It's a struggle. But why would this verse say that the testing of your faith develops patience? What does faith have to do with the matter of patience? told the church Sunday, one of the greatest expressions of my impatience comes as I daily drive these roads around us. <laughs> the Lord has been dealing with me about something. Why does that have to do with faith? Jesus said, do not be worried or anxious about anything. He said, God knows every time a sparrow falls across the entire universe. I got a little postage stamp backyard but I've got multiplied birds on that one little piece of ground. Now, does our Father really literally know every time a little bird falls across the universe? Well, Jesus said he did. And he said, I and the Father are one. So I have to believe that's true. Yes or no? So if God is taking account of every bird across the whole universe, don't you think he knows when you pull out into the traffic out here on 280? Don't you think he knows every minute detail of your life? Do you believe the word when he says your times are in his hands? Do you believe that every breath is measured and counted by God? Do you believe that every day that's ordained for you, every minute and second is in his hands? Well, then why would I believe that these irritating circumstances of my life that interfere with my agenda? Have you all noticed that the older we get, the more we gravitate toward comfort I ain't going to a restaurant and waiting 30 minutes at this stage of my life. I will turn around and go somewhere else. Does anybody feel my pain? I ain't going to do it. 
I'll go to a restaurant and sit at the bar with everybody drinking around me at lunch as a pastor because I ain't going and waiting on, to get a table. Did anybody feel that? Besides, I get to watch ESPN when I do that. <laughs> I'm not that worried about my reputation. It's not that good anyway. All right, so here's the thing. When I am operating out of patience, I'm operating outside the faith that my God is sovereignly and intimately involved in every detail of my life. God sees all those bills you got. He sees every one of those difficult customers and clients you have. He knows every circumstance and situation you find yourself in. He knows the pain that your wife or your children are causing you. Yeah. He knows everything he's intimately involved and if I don't believe that, I'm going to get more and more patience. If I really believe that, then I can, I can leave the results in his hands and just recognize that my deal is partnership, not ownership. You don't own your wife. You don't own those children. You don't own your business. And guess what? You don't even own you. What do you not know that we are not our own? We've been bought with a price, says the word of God. I don't even belong to me. All that I am and have, whether I live, I live to the Lord. Whether I die, I die to the Lord. Whether I live, therefore, or die, I am the Lord's. And I get myself in a mess when I don't cooperate with what he's trying to do. And part of that is to count it all joy, my own well-being, when I encounter various tests, trials and temptations. Anything that applies pressure to your faith is a test or trial. Notice what he says there in verse 4. Let patience. Does he say develop patience? Does he say sign up? He says let it. What does that mean? It's already on the inside of you by the Holy Spirit. Let it have its perfect work that you may be perfect. The word there means mature, complete, lacking Nothing. Isn't it interesting that the more you head toward maturity, the more you will be challenged in the realm of patience. I said the more mature you are, the more challenged you're going to get with impatience because there's some things you think you ought to be done with and there's some things you think your wife and your children and your business associates ought to have straight by now. Right? I mean you've told them what to do. <laughs> you told them how to resolve it and they're just not getting it. Right? Uh, I'm, on, I'm the only one that goes there. <laughs> Lead patience. Cooperate with it. Yield to it. 
How do I get more patience? I yield to that force that has been deposited on the inside of me by the Holy Spirit, that force called patience, that flows out of the love of God. <coughs> patience flows out of love. So if I've got a patience problem, I really have a love problem. Uh-oh. And love is the essence of God's character. So I really have a problem. Oh, he's a great guy. He does this. He does that. He's in the ministry. He's never involved himself in all that. Oh, but he, he got a love problem because patience is a real challenge for him. We ought to just stand up and call ourselves the way it is, shouldn't we? And get correction. But correction is not any good if it just stays there by itself. Correction must lead to cooperation or it's just useless. See, if I get corrected about my impatience, but I don't ever start cooperating and go to verse 4 and let patience have its work so that I can be complete and mature, lacking nothing that the Lord wants me to have and walk in, then, well, I know what your question is. It's the same thing as mine, and that's the reason we got verse 5. Let's look at it. If any of you lacks wisdom. See, because sometimes I say to the Lord, this thing is really irritating, aggravating me. Is this something you're trying to work on and develop in my life? Or, or is this just something the enemy is attacking me with and I need to dismiss it? That's the reason he says if you lack wisdom because wisdom is what lets you know the difference. Is this just an attack of the devil or is this something the Lord is trying to work in my life? And can I tell you something? Now some of you are not going to like this. And if you don't like it, it's okay. God is big enough, sovereign enough to take what the devil does and use it against him. God is big enough to take what even the devil does and use it against him and cause it to help develop you. He's done it with me. There are things, screw-ups that I've done that God didn't lead me to do. But out of His grace, He's used even my own sin. as a platform of His grace. Do you see that in your life? 
Well, wisdom. If you lack wisdom, wisdom helps us know the issues that are really involved when we're going through tests and trials. One reason why we're not successful in tests and trials is because a lot of times we don't even really know what the real issue is. And if you try to attack the wrong issue, you're going to get the wrong result. Throughout my life and my ministry, I see people all the time who are frustrated, even as believers. And one reason is because they've attacked the wrong issue. And they can't understand why it is that God hadn't brought them resolution and answer. And they've invested all this time and all this energy and all these prayers and all of this, all of this turmoil about the wrong issue. Would it make sense that if you attack the wrong issue, you might get the wrong result? Here's where wisdom comes in. Wisdom is the ability to see things from God's perspective. That is the best definition I've ever come up with. Wisdom is the ability to have God's insight. When you have God's insight, you can see things the way he sees them. And when you see things the way God sees them, just the entrance of light dispels darkness. You throw light on something, darkness dispels. But a lot of us are trying to shine the light in the wrong place. Wisdom is the ability to see things the way God sees them. And once you see things the way God sees them, then then you cry out for the companions of wisdom, and that is discernment and understanding. Discernment helps you see clearly. You get wisdom, the ability to see things God, from God's perspective, and then when you ask for the companion of discernment and understanding, that discernment helps you see what's hidden in the darkness. It's what's behind the door. And then you ask for understanding, and that helps you know how to get through this and out of this and on to where the Lord would have you to go. And they're all companions. And what does James say? If you lack wisdom, what do you do about it? Verse 5. Ask who for it. <coughs> how hard is that? Brothers, if every day of your life for your job, your ministry, your family, your finances, if you are not asking for wisdom, you're missing the greatest opportunity and invitation that's out there. Right here, this set. It's either true or it's not. If you lack wisdom, and I don't know about you, I desperately need wisdom every day of my life. If you lack wisdom, ask God in prayer. Just ask Him. What does the Word say He'll do? Give to who? Any exceptions to all? Notice what He says here. And He gives it not only to all, but He gives it to you freely and without reproach. 
I love this verse because it means God will not bring up to you your mistakes and shortcomings and sins and failures when you ask him for wisdom. God will never say to you, well, why should I give you wisdom? Remember what you did yesterday? No, that's reproach. That's finding fault. Remember how you messed up? No, no, no. I don't know about you, but this is an exciting verse to me. Regardless of my failures, intentional or non-intentional, if I ask God for wisdom, he will give it to me without finding fault. You can't find anywhere in the New Testament where the Holy Spirit brings condemnation or shame to any of his children. It's not there. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is there correction? Oh, yeah. But remember this, that asking for wisdom ought to be something we do every day, and it ought to be, here's what I do. Lord, you told me to ask you for wisdom. I desperately need wisdom. And so I ask in accordance to your word, and by faith I believe I receive it today. I believe I receive your wisdom today. The ability to see this thing the way you see it. What an invitation. What an opportunity. The next verse says there's only one condition to asking. You've got to ask in faith. How do you get faith? Faith comes by hearing by what? What well, does the Word of God just tell you? That if you ask Him, you will receive? Did He just tell you that? Ask and He will give. So there, there's the basis of your faith right there. I can tell you this. It's amazing. In my life and ministry, I come across things that I don't know the answer to all the time. All the time. This, this promise right here is life to me. And if you will do this, you will begin to see things you hadn't seen before. And you will find yourself saying things to people that didn't originate with you. They came out of the Spirit of God and you'll just sometimes back off and say, where did that come from? The wisdom of God. But remember, it's a process. It's not an instant zap. It's learning to trust Him and walk this process of asking in faith for wisdom. You can access more of Steve Franklin's teachings online at www.sfmin.com.